0: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way
1: around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about Rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I've my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at com. If you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL don't wait any longer. Go to rotaballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then this Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take – off any premium pass. Not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code, Bubba, B-U-B-B-A for another 10% off. See, it's 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio. Sign up today and start rotoballing like a boss. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 422. I'm going to talk some fantasy baseball, a little look back at 2021 with a look ahead to 2022. Talking with an NFBC veteran to help me do this. He had a monster 2021 season. If it wasn't for some Canadian named Phil Dussault, we'd probably be talking a lot more about this individual. You can find him on Twitter at The Underscore Guilds. Andrew, The Guilds, how are you doing, man?
2: Doing well, Bubba. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining me, man. It's uh, I'm glad we can make it work. It's uh, it's been fun following you and your success and your your skill. Like you're just very, very, very talented when it comes to the NFBC world of fantasy baseball. And it's going to be fun to pick your brain for a little bit as we uh, you know, we're not in the the lulls of fantasy baseball season, but it's obviously not the the high peaks of time. So it's good to strategize, see what went right, what went wrong, what we can improve for 2022. So I'd love to have a a person like yourself that did so well in 2021. Uh, and and in the past, obviously, to help uh, get us ready for 2022. So, um, real quick, just the, the brass tacks of it all. How well did you do in 2021? Because I know I know it was pretty darn good. but I don't have like the the rough numbers in front of me. I don't, I don't need the cash numbers per se. I just need yeah, yeah. like how you finished.
2: <laughs> so I did. Um, I had three main events. Uh, I finished. I won two of them. I came in like fifth in the other, but the overall, I finished ninth overall in, in the main on one of them, and then I did uh, four OCs, which I won every single one of those, and then I finished fourth overall in one of those OCs, so yeah, fourth overall finish in the OC and, and the ninth uh, overall in the main, so good. yeah, it was, so I guess six out of the seven bigger leagues were
1: big time, so yeah, it was it was a good year. <laughs> nice do you do a lot of the DCs and stuff to get ready for draft season or do you kind of focus on the ocs and the mains
2: so the OC is more my bread and butter to be honest with you um, yeah. I've been playing to that since 2014 um, the mains I've been doing those for maybe three years now i think this is my third year um, but yeah the, the OC is kind of where I specialize in but uh, uh DC's I'll do those for like main main event prep with the 15-teamers, um, but I'm not, you know, I'll put, put in three or four DCs, yeah. if that, uh, just to kind of get, you know, the player pool, uh, yeah. just to get that knowledge and the 15-team feel versus the 12. Uh, but, yeah, mostly I'm an OC uh, and a main event guy now, so.
1: It's, it's funny because you hear so many nowadays, it seems like, oh, it's all about the 15 teams, it's all about this and that. And it's I'm kind of in your your neck of the woods there. I prefer playing in these 12-team leagues. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly why. I feel – I guess I like the idea of if you have to go to the waiver wire, there's options. I don't want to be like fishing for like this complete just crapshoot of what we have out there, which it does take a skill set. There's obviously a lot to that to do it, and it's, it's doable. But I think there's something fun about still being able to pick up guys and have fun while you try to win money in fantasy baseball instead of like stress out about things. Um, What is it that you see, like you said, the OCs are your bread and butter compared to the main events, 12 versus 15. What do you see that differentiates it that kind of makes it more something that appeals to you?
2: Uh, I just – yeah, like you said, there's more kind of leeway in a draft room in a Mm 12-teamer. Like with the main event, uh, or 15-team leagues, if you don't draft like an actual winner at the draft table, you're going to have a tough time competing. Uh, like you said, the replacement value is not there on the waiver wire. Uh, a few bad injuries, your season could be shot. I mean, uh, there's just more flexibility in, in a 12-teamer. Uh, but not to say I do like the the challenge of the main events and, and winning the draft at that draft table. Because, you know, when you walk out of there, I mean, at least I have a feeling whether or not, you know, you have some, a contender on your hands. Um but yeah, in, in a 15-teamer, you, you really need to draft that team at the draft. Uh, whereas a 12-teamer, there's, you know, there's a lot more ways. There's a lot more avenues to success, um, whether it's the waiver wire or just uh, just the replacement value as a whole. I mean, it's night and day compared to the 15-teamers.
1: Yeah, I like, that, I like that point. That's very true because, um, you know, you do 15-team leagues, and it's so true, you'll, you'll be even in the middle of your draft going, crap. Like, this is not where I wanted to be. Like, I got to figure out a way to pull a rabbit out of my hat with these like, last 10 picks to be comfortable come draft day. I mean, uh, opening day. Whereas a 12-teamer, it's like, okay, I missed out on this position. But, oh, wait, there's so much more I can do. I can pivot. I can do things and still build something. And if not, the waiver wire, you'll have more flexibility to open up. Um, Speaking of the waiver wire, it's always a running joke between, like, Genstead and all these other guys. 12-team versus 15-teams. Like, 15 is kind of... It's not always structured. You still look at bids and they're still crazy at times, but there's kind of more of a fluidity almost to a 15 team fab where 12s are just off the rails where you get some crazy yeah. numbers. And you say you do so many of these OCs and everything. How do you kind of navigate that, uh, the, the the fab minefield? Because there's, I know you have to experience it, I do, and others. You'll put in a bid in your league and you're like, that bid would have won in like 12 other leagues out of like the 15 or whatever. How did this not happen? Like it's yeah. so frustrating, but how do you navigate that?
2: Yeah, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to, to the 12-teamer Fabs. Uh, how I approach it is, I'm, I'm usually super aggressive on, on the waiver wire, so I don't care if I'm wasting money. If I want a guy, I'm fine over bidding. You know, I'm not one of these guys that needs to have the most efficient bid, and you see all the screenshots. Oh, I won the guy by $2. I don't mind winning a guy by 150 If that's to get my guy, I don't care. Um, I just find it's easier to manage, you know, later on through the season where you're getting guys for a dollar, two dollars. Um, so early on, I don't mind being aggressive, and getting a guy because you know if you do get them early on, you get a whole full season, you know, production versus you know a guy in July or August, you're only getting a couple months out of it. So uh, I'm aggressive early on, um, and uh, yeah, and, and to the main bids I agree. It, it's, there's my first play in the main. I was bidding like way too aggressive because I was in that OC mindset. Yeah, it took a little bit of you know uh, time to see. Okay, these guys are pretty much fluctuating between you know twenty to forty dollars per player. Um, Here in the first year, I'm just going balls to the wall, just emptying my wallet. Um, So it it takes some adjustment. Uh, Definitely, there's definitely a difference between the uh, the OCs and the main event uh, bidding. So. I think now I have a good sense of, of both and where they balance out pretty much.
1: No, and that's so true because, um, uh, yeah, the 15s. I'm I'm very cautious bidding. It seems like I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to lose my money. I think because of the replacement value options. Like if you're out of cash yeah. or even in, in bigger yeah. pro- problems, where in the 12s. Maybe that's why I I, I have more fun with it. And I do better because it's like last year in one week, Joey Votto's out there. I'm like I'm spending a bunch of money to get Joey Votto or like things like that where. In other leagues, you know, you can kind of pick and choose where you want to make your battles type situation. So I, I like that. When you say you're being – you like to be aggressive, is it like a particular position you're more aggressive in or is it just basically a team needs? I'm assuming it's team needs because everything's so yeah. different. But, you know, some people love to go early on those potential closers that, you know, 75% of them don't pan out type thing. So what do you yeah. you choose to do?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not really dependent on any position for me. It's – if i if i do feel like i missed out on closures early and i see one like last year uh, uh, it was julian Merriweather, yep. um which was a mistake but i went super aggressive for him just because I, I saw you know the possibility he could be the day's closer it looked like they wanted to use him in the ninth um so i spent over 40 percent in maine in the main leagues on him, uh, and i'll never forget he i think he pitched uh, one inning prior yeah. to getting hurt after I acquired him. So I essentially paid $400 out of my fab for one out. Um, so that didn't work out, but uh, yeah, that's not really dependent. Like Austin Riley was another guy. <laughs> I, I did like 234 early on and the runner up was like 30 bucks, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't mind, you know, that was a 12 team or So But if I see a need uh, for my team, I'm, I'm okay. Just good and large. And I'll worry about you know the efficient bidding as we move along in the season.
1: Well, because e- even in twelve team leagues, as the season goes on, there's so many more one dollar guys. So yeah. like you could you could fix that stuff. That makes more sense, like you're saying. I'll go get my guy early and I'll figure it out later. Obviously, you don't want to run out of money because you can't do the 0 zero dollar bids. But if you play it smart towards the end, and by the end, unfortunately, some people have given up. You have other options like, That's the thing, there's, yeah.
2: so like there's like like closers in July and August. I mean, you get them for like $1 a dollar on the wire just because teams are already. Given up, they abandon their teams or competing with maybe three or four other teams versus 12, right. And mm-hmm. in, in May. Um, so obviously the, the prices go down. Um, so it's pretty much relative. If I have, you know, under $200 in, in July, I'm fine with that. I'll make it work. Uh, you just want to have a little bit of something going into the final month, you know, 50 ish. I don't go too thin. You know, I'm not like crazy where I have $6. When I'm, when I'm <laughs> first. Um, but yeah, it's just about you know efficient uh, uh, bidding and being wise with the money. After if you spend big and you, and you miss, um, you just got to be a little more mindful of that as you move along in this season.
1: And I love the point on uh, closers as the year goes on. It's something we've delved into a lot, me and Toby, on our shows and everything, because we do the in the weekly fab, and you could see it as the season went on. And that's maybe that's one reason why I'm more cautious early on with spending on saves. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, I, I tell the story. It worked for me with Liam Hendricks a couple of years ago with the A's. It was freaking amazing. But then there's always the stories like the Mayweathers and stuff where it's like, yeah well, that didn't go so well. But, it, it you know, you never know. So that's the beauty of it. But there are so many that if you want to get guys, they'll get you five or six saves. You can for a buck later on. And, and those little bits go a long way. So mm-hmm. that's like one of the categories where you can kind of wait on compared to like other categories, potentially. I know everyone says you can find power and all these other things, but you can just all depends. But um, I think the saves ones, like the way the saves are going these days with so many committees and stuff, it might be an avenue towards, um, towards working with your fab type situation. Um, in the fab realm of things, 12 versus 15, we can compare that if you'd like. Um, how easy is it to drop, guys? Because that's one of the things so many of us have issues with is when do we know when to drop, guys? I know I've held them too long or I've dropped them too early. I've, I've, I'll never, ever forget. I've said it a million times on my show. The year Matt Carpenter went nuts, I dropped him before he went nuts. And I will never, ever forget that. But those are the breaks. So when do you kind of feel comfortable dropping guys?
2: Yeah, I think the 12-teamers, much uh, quicker leash or shorter leash. You're churning a lot more in in 12-teamers, whereas the 15-teamers, I mean, you have to have a little more patience just because, you know, the the wire, the waiver wire is so barren, you know, with uh, any guys that are productive. So. You know, if you have a guy, you might want to wait a little bit if they're getting every day at-bats. I mean, the guy that's getting every day at-bats in a main event, I mean, it's gold just in itself getting those at-bats. Um, so you don't want to, you know, give up on a guy too soon. Um, Ian Happ was kind of that guy last year mm-hmm. in the Mains where he went through like a disaster slump. I was like, know, yeah, he wasn't doing anything for a while, but yet he was still playing mostly every day. So that was a guy, you know, it was tough to just give up in a 15-teamer versus a 12-teamer. I mean, he was long gone on the wire. So, um, yeah, at-bats, I think, is the biggest difference between the the mains and the 12-teamers where uh, playing time is so vital um, because, you know, you don't want to be starting platoon guys, which a lot of times can happen uh, in a 15-team league where you're starting guys getting three, four games a week just behind the eight ball. You know, there's somebody in your league that's going to have five outfielders playing every day. Yep. So,
1: uh, yeah, those are yeah, of that. Yeah. Even if it's like you said, it's if, even if it's, you know, one player playing six games compared to four games, but he goes 0 for four and two of the six, but those other four, like, it's just the whole dynamic can be so much bigger, at least in counting stats and everything, which it's something that it's talked about more and more, which is nice to see the at bats, the playing time, how to project playing time is the mystery of all mysteries. Like if you can mm-hmm. figure that out, you're awesome. Especially as like it's not even just closers now. We're seeing more and more teams platoon. I'm a Giants fan; their team platoon. They're turning into the Rays out here. The Dodgers do it. It's making it more and more difficult to find those studs that just run type situation. Yeah. Um. So that that's always a, a fun predicament. When you're looking at your drafts, and like we're jumping around the outline here, but uh, that's um, but when you're looking at your drafts, we talked about you know the playing time. That's a thing. How cognizant are you to try to find players with multi-position eligibility compared? to Like, is it a big? Is it just like okay if these guys are close, we're going this way, or is it something you kind of focus on? Because I know I might focus on it too much, but it's been such a chaotic last couple of seasons where it's been huge in, in in season. So, how do you approach multi-position guys?
2: Yeah, I I mean I don't I don't target them specifically. I do use it kind of like a tiebreaker if I'm between a couple of guys. Uh like you had on here Chris Bryant, uh who is it, verse Bregman. Bregman, yeah. And Bryant has the outfield eligibility. So to me, that would kind of move him past Bregman in that case. But uh, I think sometimes people overvalue it too, also, Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be playing a guy who's not productive only because he has the multi positions. And one guy that comes to mind is David Fletcher last year. Yeah. Who I had in a DC uh, in my DC, and I didn't realize how big of a slump this guy went through in the middle of the season. I don't know if you're aware, he was like 10 for like 140, and I absorbed like every one of those at bats in my DC. Well, I had no healthy guys, but uh, you got to be careful with it's nice to have that flexibility, but you want guys that are productive with that flexibility, you know, like LeMay, LeMay who is, is a different story. Um, you're getting a guy that's productive at all these positions, so to me, that's a guy that it does create that more, more of that value with the extra positions. But uh, yeah, okay. again, I, I mean, I don't target those guys, but it's it's something that I'll use as, as more of a tiebreaker than anything.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something that, like I said, I, I think I might overvalue at times, but it's just been such a weird couple of years, but I, I agree. Like it's the whole the idea, lines, you know,
2: yeah. uh, the cut lines is, that's where it's really, yeah, it comes into play. I mean, you're, you're always trying to target those guys that can create those points in all these multiple positions. I mean that format. I mean that's that's gold there. But as far as your t- typical roto league, I mean, it's nice, you know, to, for injuries uh, to plug in and get the guy, get bats for the guy. But yeah, it's not something I'm you know, yeah reaching nah, for in drafts.
1: I'm I'm with you there. What you did reach for in drafts last year was Vladito, oh. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That was your boy. Um. Was, yeah, and that was can can we say that was one of the reasons you were very successful
2: last year? It was just yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely. And I still got to get that the powder
1: blue jersey. Oh, um, such a beautiful, yeah. oh man! They need to wear those more often. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs>
2: it might be. I think it's my favorite jersey in
1: baseball right now. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah,
2: but yeah, no, uh, he was uh, he was a main cog for sure. So I, he was my highest owned player across like every format. Um. OCs, Maine, DCs, I think yeah. I had something like forty percent Vlad across all my leagues. So yeah, nice. he, was, he was just a monster. <laughs>
1: how how aggressive were you in drafts? Because we know his price tag was creeping up, but like were you going like mid first round, late first round? Where were you going with him?
2: So in the OCs, he was being very he was very undervalued early on. I mean he was going like in a fifth round of OCs, so I was getting happy jumping him around there. And as we got towards like the main drafts, he kind of, you know, he was elevated to like the third and maybe early third. So his price tag definitely went up in the mains, but I was always willing to take him at least around higher than his ADP, especially in the OCs. That's why I had mostly him and uh, even in the mains, there's actually a funny story. So I had him in two of the three mains and the other main I'm sitting there in the mid third round. So this is around pick 37, 38 ish. And Bellinger is still on board, which was cool. this was like 10 to 12 picks past his AP. Mm-hmm. So the owner right before me, he's seen that he needed a first baseman. So I'm like, all right, he's taking Bellinger. I'm just going to go Vlad across the board. Um, you know, I was just excited to, to, to click Vlad and just assuming Bellinger has gone right before me. And he takes Vlad before Bellinger. I'm like, wow, because, I mean, at that time, nobody was taking danger, you know, mm-hmm. after Vlad, I mean, it was always, way uh, earlier. yeah, at least 10, 12 picks before Vlad, so, no. so I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go belly here, and then uh, we know how that worked out, yeah. so that was that was the main that didn't win, but, uh, again, it's not only due to Vlad, there's, you know, I saw that thought, uh, or somebody commented saying it was only due to Vlad my season, I mean, there was a bunch of guys I was on that I hit on, yeah. so, Vlad just happened to be the, the, the number one guy yeah. for me. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. no, baseball is such a long season. It's not, never one guy is going to yeah. win your season. That's for darn Jeez. sure. But yeah, uh, I saw that, I'm like, you know, you're
2: having rosters. Yeah, no. There's 23 men 23 rosters, you know. Yeah. Pitchers, clothes. I mean, yeah, there's five there's pitching never, there's, categories and five hitting categories. <laughs> yeah, there's never one guy. I could show you. Hundreds of teams with that did nothing last year, yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, it's like the people uh tweeting out right now for fantasy football who drafted Cooper Cup and didn't make the playoffs? It's impossible. I was like, it's well, probably not likely, but I guarantee you there's some that missed the playoffs. No, I guarantee absolutely, you, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you have to still build a team, that's that's the point of this game. It's not just you know a one off situation, home run derby type deal. But it helps you. It definitely helps you. And the, the 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 reason I ask is because you go you went like you said, 40% of your team. So you're focused on getting Vlad, which is good. It's like we hear about some of these really like long time veteran Hall of Fame NPC guys. Like they just walk into a room and they have a list of guys. Like I'm not gonna care. I have my guys. This is what I'm picking from. And I've been trying to get myself to be more diligent in that and not just be like, hey, wow, this guy's falling. I gotta like he's three rounds yeah. later now. Like this is crazy. I, but i didn't like him so why would i like him three rounds later scenario that's right, the tough right, part right. but um do you go in with like just a list of hey like obviously you wanted vlad last year is there always a list of a few guys like i want these guys on my team
2: yep yep so there is so you know i'll do a lot of research and i'll use adp kind of just to see what the you know, consensus is thinking of where players should be going and where they're valuing these guys and if i see you know a difference in the value of a guy that I really like that the public might perceive differently. Those are the guys I like to target. So um, there are, I do try to key in on, you know, a few guys uh, every year. And usually it's not guys going as high as Vlad. it's more in the middle rounds where I'm okay drafting a lot of these guys across all of my teams. Cause if you miss, you know, it's a 10th, 11th, 12th round pick, yeah. you know, that's not going to hurt you too bad. Uh, so, Vlad was kind of the rare exception last year where I just had a really strong conviction on them and decided to just pretty much go all in. Yeah. So, it worked. I mean, um, but yeah, generally it's more guys in the um that I see. Uh, maybe it's a, an inefficiency in the marketplace. And uh, those are the guys I kind of key on. And I'm happy even jumping them a little bit in ADP just so I can secure that in those drafts. But, um, yeah. So I do go in there with a few guys that I like to acquire. And even if you see my teams, not just Vlad, you'll see you know a few guys across all teams that are the you know, same player. Um, yeah. So something we- I've done, and it's worked.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there, like, again and I like the point you made because most of mine are like around like pick 150 to two something, give or take. Like it's a yeah. it's deeper in drafts, and it's like okay, I I got a Marcus Stroman in almost every league last year. I'm like he's going to like pick two two to two twenty, and I'm like that's ridiculous. Like I know yeah, he's not yeah, he, really? he's not like a that massive guy elite guy, in, but, say, right? yeah, like the price tag was just silly for for what we were getting there, and he's bumped up a ton already this year. So and I we still like last him. year, yeah, uh, on the mains actually it was Class A. Yeah. So, if you remember, right, there was a lot
2: of yep. um, uh, vagueness as to who the closer was in Cleveland, right? We had Kurenczak, we had Whitgren, Klasse, mm-hmm. Nobody really had a good handle on who was closing. Yep. You know, a lot of people thought it would be Kurenczak. Nobody really knew. Uh, but Klasse was going, like, way, way too late. I mean, yep. I was getting him in the rounds 22, 23. So, essentially, I just drafted him in every one of those mains you yep. know, anyway, he turned into a monster, and then I mean, yep. you got to hit on one of those guys late, and then it's it's easy to say that, but
1: yeah, to me, it's just the cheapest
2: guy of the three. So why would I pay up for a act when I know I'd say has just as good a chance ten rounds later, twelve rounds later to secure that yeah. job?
1: It's and like you of... said, it, well, it's it's better to kind of go with those late guys as kind of your all-in guys because it, it's not a big pick. So if you have to drop them, you can drop them. It's not going to crush exactly, you yeah. if you go all in on. Say you go all in on like Tyler O'Neill this year and he does not does not continue on this stretch, you're paying a second to third round price. That's gonna crush like it's not gonna lose your league. You can bounce back. It's gonna crush you though. It's gonna take a lot of work to come back from that.
2: And see that kind of yeah. So so much I do too a lot is like you mentioned Tyler. I had a lot of O'Neill last year too. But I like going for the guys with the press values that had um, proven success in the league, right? Yep. So I want the guys that are going cheaper, but I know have that. Boom, that spiked season in them like a Bellinger. How you yeah. know, people are so down this year, it's like, he's like it's like pick 100 right now.
1: Ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's young, you know, he was messing with his swing, he had the injuries. Would it take, would it surprise people that much if he goes back to his MVP caliber year two seasons? Ago? I mean, yep. and you're getting that guy so late, that, that's kind of guy that I'm going to be jumping around, not just waiting to you know to target him.
1: Well, that, that's such a great point because it's like so many people early draft picks it's your pain not all of them some guys are proven but most of them you're paying a bump in price because they had a career season yeah. so it's like it's it. regression's natural <laughs> to continue having a, a career season every year is tough so you already got to predict like i still think tyler o'neill will be good but is he second or third round good is the question like there's, there's there's discussion there uh but yeah you mentioned bellinger Yelich going around the same area i'm probably more comfortable with bellinger than Yelich, but same theory like you got these guys that can produce we've seen it can they do it again out is going super late I know he's getting older, but he's still super productive. Like, there's a lot of guys like that. Where if that's the whole point in these early drafts, like you say, you do, you do some DCs and stuff, is to see where this is going, and you're just like, okay, I can kind of pivot now. I can do different things to make it work, which will which will be quite kind of fun. Uh, you mentioned class A and in this ever evolving world of closers that are going crazy, are you aggressive early? Or are you just a wait and get class A types and take your chances? How do you go about that?
2: Yes, I kind of do think there's a blueprint to closers and at least like in the 15 teamers um, at least in the overall mindset i feel like you really can't devote more than one early ish pick on a closer um you're just losing too much in opportunity cost uh, by doing that if you want to take two closers like in the top eight rounds one, you know, they're so hit or miss year to year. I mean, it's it's very likely not, you know, one of if not both the guys, you know, aren't the closer halfway through the season. But I just think um, from like a game theory perspective, it's like there's going to be teams out there that hit on the classes, that hit on these closers going late. If you're wasting or if you're investing two top eight picks on foot, you're you're behind that eight ball. You're, you're behind those teams that hit on those closers late. So to me, it's like I'm going to hit I'm fine drafting you know you know a top seven closer you know in the top ten rounds to secure that one guy uh, but after that I'm going spec closers you know I'll draft three four guys you know around fifteen plus um, just i I don't want to devote more than one you know premium draft pick on a closer essentially yeah, uh, especially I, I in this with clima- in this climate where you know closers are so fickle you know they're doing a lot of committees like you said earlier it's like yeah. I don't think that's optimal strategy to go more than maybe one closer in a top 10 rounds.
1: Yeah, in these DC formats, I've like started to see the appeal if you wanted to because then you just lock in your saves and i have to play with it again. Given if the guy falls, that you're just in trouble again. Yeah. I get it there in a redraft format. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm always been get me one of my top like seven or eight and then I'm going to move on. Like I, last year, I was getting a ton of Iglesias or like Kenley Jansen's or whatever, kind of the back end of those seven or eight, and then I just go and piece it together later. And it was, it was okay. It worked out. So um, I, I, yeah, I can't too, yeah. invest that mean really It's tough.
2: And the overall component, I mean, that plays, it plays a factor in here, right? Cause you're, you're, you're competing against all these hundreds and thousands of other teams. You kind of have to hit it right in a draft. And you know, if you're investing too much in closers, there's other teams that aren't, and there's other teams yeah. that are going to hit on guys that you're not going to hit on. Uh, yeah. So to me, it's, and especially, like I said, in this climate now, it's it's such a, a fickle position. Uh, you know, I'm not a gambling on more than one guy in a top eight, nine, ten rounds.
1: Yeah, and, I, and and with like even the starting pitching landscape, it's so deep now because there's not as many guys going deep in games. So you get this bigger pool of like five, six inning guys that are usable or kind of better than streamable potentially. And so now you can get more offense early, get a close. Like you don't have to go super crazy. Like you can. Like do you go? Like, I know Toby's Mr. Pocket Aces. I've seen the appeal to it. I also see the appeal to waiting, especially a year like this year. How do you yeah. approach starting pitching in a draft?
2: Yeah, so I was done with the Aces before it became cool with the Pocket Aces. So.
1: <laughs> the, the the original Pocket Aces.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, yeah, before Toby coined that. Um, to me, it was, especially in the 12-teamers, that was always, like, the most optimal strategy. just you, you can, can, almost, drive, you can but,
1: almost stop drafting starting pitching for so long after that.
2: Well, yeah, plus in the 12 teamers, you could build an offense so much easier that True. to me, it was crazy not to draft those horses right at the top, right? You're getting True. clutch, big bats in rounds mm-hmm. nine, nine, 11. You know, I want to True. secure those those top end aces to go along uh, with that offense. So to me, it's even more imperative in the 12 teamers to, to build that starting pitching base early and just load up on the bats after that. You could still. That's how I my O.C. that finished fourth. I started out DeGrom Bauer there, which is funny because the one thing I trailed in at the end was was ratios. So, if, you know, if I had them the whole year, I feel like I would have had a good chance to take that yeah. tournament. But I still was able to build like a massive offense, you know, forfeiting two picks on on pitchers. So uh, it's just a different animal, I think, uh, the 12-teamers and that. You, yeah. you can find bats almost wrapping the entire
1: dry. Let's take a quick a-, a break from this episode of Bench with Bubba, and I want to talk to you about fantracks.com. Phenomenal way to play fantasy baseball. If you're new to Fantrax, you, you want to try it out. Like if you have leagues on other platforms that maybe you're frustrated with, this and that, come over to Fantrax. It's free. Come check it out. Free premium, especially when you bring your old league over. You just show them your format. Boom. They set it up for you. Absolutely awesome stuff. It is a great format. It Has fully customizable, whatever you want, all the craziness. You can even have your, your leagues pay their fees right there. They'll hold the cash for you. Simple as that. So much fun over there at fantracks.com. Deepest player pools. If you're into dynasty, you want to be on fantracks.com. It's absolutely great. So if you're new to fantracks.com, use fantracks.com backslash Bubba B-U-B-B-A for a first-time sign up. They'll get you all hooked up right there. If you have any questions, just hit me up. I'll set you up with the people. We'll get it taken care of. They are a great platform to play. Fantasy baseball, eight, hey, even fantasy football, basketball, college, NASCAR, golf. They have it all, people. Everything you want for your season-long sports. Fantrax.com if you're new. Fantrax.com backslash Bubba. And even better, folks, you like Fernando Tatis Jr.? You should. Bad shoulder or not, you should like him because regardless of the shoulder, he can sign a baseball. If you're new to Fantrax.com, use Fantrax.com backslash Bubba. Then use promo code Tatis, T-A-T-I-S. You're injured to win a free autograph for Fernando Tatis Jr. Baseball. You're going to love it. Go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and get in and get action. Play some Fantrax this year. You know, this is. This is what I'm, I'm really enjoying this discussion because like, uh, people know Toby, I record Toby once a week and a lot of it's 15-team base. because that's what he focuses on. I like to play 12s a lot, so it's really nice to hear your kind of state viewpoint on it, which makes sense to me as well Is I think it's, it's for the more common player. I think 12 is much better. Obviously I think it's common sense. You don't really need to listen to this for that, but what the way you're saying it, like you can build this really awesome team and still be okay. Where 15 teamers, like we've said already a few times, you can just be so lost in the weeds if you miss a pick or two and it just really skews things up. So for just kind of common average player or just trying to get your feet wet in, in like NFBC, don't jump into the fifteen team pool. Like, get used to this this system. It's so much, so much better. I like that um, you can because even like the waiver wire. I got, I got Votto last year. I got Jazz Chisholm in a league last year. Like, you can right. find guys that are out there that that'll that'll help you out a ton. So I like that quite a bit. Um, what else went right for you last year? You had Classe. You had Varito. Obviously, like we said, it's a long season. You got to have more than just that to win a league. So, what was it? Was it a strategy you implied? Was it hitting big on certain things? What went right for you?
2: Well, offensively, I would say I targeted not just Vlad, like all the Blue Jays. I had Bichette, Teoscar, Vlad, uh, Kvitchik, Late. also. I mean, it's funny. I mentioned this before. Like stacking is not really a thing in baseball, but yep. that big team I had was stacked with Blue Jays. I just saw, thought they were all going, you know. They had like five
1: or six bad. guys in the top ten on the Rasball Player Raider. They were insane last year.
2: <laughs> Plus, you know, they're playing, they weren't playing in Dunedin to begin yeah. the year there, too. I mean, that's just a launching pass. So, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and they were all going super low. tiostra I got it. I think, geez, it was like ninth, eighth, ninth round or something. It was ridiculous. But uh, Julio Urias was was another main mm-hmm. piece. Um, that was another guy. That was one of the guys I was going in targeting. I just saw, you know, people were very concerned about his innings.
1: Yeah, I'm guilty. And, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I was so wrong on that one.
2: Yeah, and to me it was just like, okay, the only thing preventing him from hitting that ace, that top-tier pitcher is innings, right? His stuff's electric. He's on a team that's going to win 100-plus games. You know, if he can get 150-plus innings, you're getting, you know, an SP1, SP2 at worst probably. And sure enough, he even outproduced those numbers. But, uh, yeah, I was targeting him, and, and I just thought the market was too low. And that fear, innings fear was was, was – taking him way too low in drafts. So I was happy to to jump him a little bit there.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. He's a guy, and I'm, I'm even confused on him now this year because he's through so many aims last year, such a bump from the year before. Yeah. It's like, man, like, the dude's awesome. Like, he's really good. Like, what do they do with him? I'm so lost. Like, the let walker Bueller run, I've, and this is where I'm messed up in the head mentally for, for fantasy is I've always believed the let walker Bueller run. I was always worried about Urias. Now it's like, will they just let Urias do what Mueller yeah. did, or do they bring him back? It's like, <laughs> it's so tough. But, but it's um, funny too when
2: you, you yeah. talk about like Vlad and Urias. Now it's like somebody asked me before, like Vlad was amazing for you. Are you going to own much of him this year? I'm like, probably not. No, because he's going what time five, time six. Yeah. To me, I'm trying to find the next the next Vlad in round four and five. Yep. I want Vlad at number five yeah. overall.
1: And that's that's the key. That's the key is because the reason, like you said, you got Vlad, you got your eyes. the reason why I got Strowman last year and other guys is you're looking at the, the misprices of guys, basically. Yeah. Now they could be like what I was saying with O'Neal, maybe a bit overpriced. Um, and so now it's like, do I really want to do that or do I not? Like the Teoscar is a great example. Uh, he had that monster uh, the 2020, but people were like, oh, short season, this and that. So he still went around eight or nine. He backed it up. Now he's up to like round three for the most part now. Yeah. Maybe round two. So it's like, do I take that price on Tiosker, even though I just got like, it's just yet to weigh these things out. And now you got to find that next guy. Like you're saying, that's where it gets fun and trying to to figure it out. And that's where you can win these leagues because everybody can go, oh, yeah, Vlad's the top five pick now. Okay, cool. Right. But who's the next Vlad, as you said? That's exactly, that's yeah. the like, gotta, challenging part to me.
2: You small edges in these draft rings. That's all.
1: <laughs> how, without giving away all your secret sauce, how do you go looking into finding those small edges?
2: uh yeah that's a good, that's a good question so i i, I see i mean I, I i try to look at the previous year too and, and guys coming off down years and if it's if it's injury i look at age a lot too and um you know if there were injuries that are impacting the player's performance obviously uh like zach gallon's a guy who i'm pretty high on this year and the market's super low i think he's going like in the 130 140s I mean, this guy's one year removed from being a third round pick. Yep. Um, he had the arm issue. Yeah. I think I'm not going to wait. Everything should be, should be good. Going into it's action. just a weird,
1: se- weird set of injuries last year. It's very bizarre.
2: <laughs> yeah. But he had, he had the two, you know, monster seasons like yep. a year and he followed it up. So, I mean, that's a guy that can easily go back. He could revert back to that form mm-hmm. and you're getting a ridiculous discount. So those are the guys, uh, I'm looking at and, and just trying to find that, that value, uh, in drafts um Kellenick's another guy which i'm super high on yeah. uh mostly the market's down on but he has that profile that i love especially in his overall tournaments that speed the power the pedigree uh he's got a depressed value right now somewhat you know he's going yeah. what 130 140 ish around there yep and to me that's a guy that can usually be a top 15 outfielder in fantasy big time and, you know you look back next June and July, he'd be like, holy crap! I got this guy in round twelve, like, and he's a monster. I mean, it takes time for some of these young guys to to adjust to Major League. And
1: he season. finished the season pretty good. Like he started yeah. to figure things out a little bit, which was good to see. And he went through like a really rough stretch there, like two Big months. Time. He was just yeah. terrible. I know because
2: you know he was on a couple of my teams, but and plus I'm a Mets fan, so I use that too as another <laughs> reason for him to just. <laughs> go to the moon is like, oh, yeah. somehow going to become a, win a batting title or become a perennial all-star now, but no, I, I love that kid. I love his game. I think he's got a lot of moxie and I see big things for him this year. So that'll it'll be good. I'll probably won't get him in any leagues now that I keep, you know, counting his name and <laughs> all these clubs. But Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: the thing we all know with clinic, because it is funny like you, he's a perfect example of last year, he never even really played in the bigs and everybody was just drooling Of when can I draft Jared clinic? And now it's like they saw him play. And even though he finished pretty strong, like I'm I'm in your camp where it's like I like the improvements I saw. He's young. He's young, but the talent's ridiculous. Like he showed me improvements. Like another guy I'm big on that's going super late, like really late right now, and I might be crazy for it, but I believe the pedigree is Joe Adele. I might be crazy for that. He's going super late, and no one's talking about him. I think I've had him in every 50 I've done so far. Like I just keep grabbing him as like my eighth outfielder. Like no one's drafting him. Um, I could be wrong, but he's basically free. So it's those kind of guys where everyone's drooling about him. One year they have a rough mm-hmm. go. God forbid, you know, a twenty-three year old struggles in exactly. professional baseball. Without especially twenty-twenty, didn't have a minor league season. Like let's look at the whole picture here. And then so clinics a great example. The thing I was going to say though, it's funny, and you know it too. You better draft him in like February because once he gets that first spring training home run.
2: Yeah. No, yeah. That's <laughs> it's a guy that's gonna shoot that's a guy that's gonna shoot up words. I know that, but uh, yeah. yeah, just odd seeing where how low some of these guys are going right now. But yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's definitely a guy I'll be uh, I'll be targeting.
1: Yeah, there's definitely some interesting ones there. Um, you know, we talked about guys like that. What about positional scarcity? Like everybody talks about third base, it's it's dreadful. Um, do you make a point to push up your your interest to get a guy? Like, um, like him or like a third baseman early, or do you say, screw it, I know my positions, am I draft these best available, blah, 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 and go get that
2: yeah, I, I don't look at the scarcity too much. I mean, it's to me if if I don't see a huge drop off, let's say there's like nine or ten third basemen I like, you know, I'm, I'm content waiting for that eighth, ninth, tenth one to fall into my lap at some point, I'm not gonna reach for. Yeah, the third or fourth one, if I don't see much of a disparity between those players. So I'm fine playing that waiting game. You know, I don't want to wait too long. I don't want to be starting, you know, uh, a guy not even getting every day at bats or something at third base or like a, a corner. You know, it's better used as a corner as my starting third baseman. So I do want to kind of, you know, to, to get that last of the tier, uh, if you will. Um, because yeah, it is kind of a gross position this year. I was looking at over that earlier. It's, it's after tough, nine man. or ten, it, it kind of falls off the cliff there, at third base. So yeah, yeah now like, I'll definitely try to get one of those. I just don't really care which one it is. You know, yeah. if I don't love anyone in particular.
1: And that's kind of what I've been trying to do in these early drafts. Is I I saw myself getting too aggressive. I felt on Devers because. I really want stolen bases. I'm taking a guy early. He doesn't give them to me, but I know I can get stolen bases later, but then it kind of, like, already dictates your draft right out the gate, which is yeah. not always fun, Um. but at the same time, you don't want to play roulette, Russian roulette, and be like, oh, no, like, this is going to suck yeah. here in a minute. So, it's... Yeah. Uh, it, it's and you, and you it's to yeah.
2: speed. I'm, I'm always conscious of the speed factor early in drafts. I'm not usually taking a guy that doesn't offer me at least something in stolen bases, so... Uh, yeah, third base is a tricky one this year too. But Mondesi also, it's like, where's where's yeah. he gonna go? It's, where, where do
1: you where do you stand on a guy like Mondesi? Because, god, dude, like I'm so intrigued by him because we know even in a hundred games, he could basically potentially win you a league and then you get to sure. replace him with someone later. But it's still like you got to play that pick and pray he plays at least a hundred games. And that's, yeah, that's that's the question mark. We didn't see it last year, we could easily see it this year, and he's going around, I think, like round three right now, give or take. So, where do you sit on a guy like that?
2: It's still pricey, though, to me. I yeah, mean, that's the
1: problem. You got to pay a price to get them.
2: And, and you don't, you know, it's nice to get those 50 steals, but you don't need them to win these overalls. You know, you just got to be competitive true. in those categories. I think that's a common misconception where, you know, I need to, I need 100 steals, 120 steals. And no, you don't. You just need to be in that 88th percentile. You need to be competitive. You need to be, you know, the top three or four in your league. And then overall in that top, you know, 80%. Um, so you don't need, I do, I do love him as a player and it sucks mm-hmm. that he's always hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely take him if, if the price dictated that, but it's not a guy that I'm reaching for where I have in the past and he's burned me a couple of times, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, if he falls into a place where in third, fourth round, I would definitely consider it. Yeah. Third is probably a little too early for me still. I would, the fourth i'd be hard-pressed to to not take him
1: there so i think he's like better... you said
2: too you can replace you know those yes. those games he misses you're not getting zero production you're able no, you're to
1: replace the, yeah so. like you could fill it in with a as bad as he was like an alec bomb or a Carter key if worst comes to worse like you got a body you can put out there type situation right. yeah um or go draft hunter dozier because maybe he'll play third if Mondesi's down or something and he plays whatever the outfield you
2: from, Yeah, Whatever you get from Monacy and your replacement, it's still going to be a, a monster awesome. stat yeah. line into the year, right? So Yeah. You just got to so
1: can play half the season at least. Exactly. It feels like – he might be better fit for like a 12 teamer than a 15 because the replacement value you can get 15 yeah, yeah. might stress you out a little more. <laughs> like it really put a, put a stress on your team where the 12, you can play that flexibility card. I think he's also really good in those DC formats because you're already drafting two or three other third basements. You're not worried about it. So it's like, Hey, run out there when I can run you out there. Otherwise I'm going to bring yeah. you in so much easier that way. Not, not the stress of having to add and drop and do all that kind of stuff. Um, what are you doing with depth of pitching this year? We, we already said you like to take the, the aces early, but like it, and it's insanely deep. Like I'm still, I'm doing a 50 right now. I'm around 40 and there's still guys out there. I'm like, I wouldn't, like we stream them all the time, all the time. Like it's a deep pool right now.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is a deep pool. Is it, the question I have too, and I think everyone else will, is just the, the the amount of innings. Like, how many of these horses are going to give you? Now, I think the number is like 180, or it used to be yeah. 200, right? Like, yeah. how many guys can actually give you 180 innings pitched? And I still value those guys more to, more so than any, you know, the middle, way more than the middle tier of pitchers. But I still think you need a couple of those horses in this thing to, to win the overalls. Um, they just provide that huge base. Uh, And if you do get the the 200 inning year, which is like a unicorn now, I mean, I feel like you're ahead of the the eight ball there. So Um, I do like, you know, investing premium pitching early for sure. You know, take a break, bang out those bats, and then I'll attack that pitching again in those middle rounds. And then you can find the Strowman's and a couple aces, but your Rice, those guys. Rice is clutch. You want to find the aces also in in rounds eight through, you know,
1: 12.
0: Well, that's big, like.
1: You know, like yeah. the guys that found the Robbie Rays last year, and those guys, exactly. like, yeah. like that's insane. I got, and you're not going to find a Cy Young Award winner every time. That's not going to happen. But yeah, like you said, the aces, even an a, even a professional team's SP two could be an ace for your fantasy team. So sure. yeah, those and, those and type of we,
2: we see guys. It's not like I mean, we see guys come out of nowhere and have these huge ace ace like seasons. So I mean, it happens. You just got to be on the right guys. So. Uh, to me, that's always my plan is going into drafts. Is that, and we know that the known commodities at the top: the Groms, you know, Scherzers, those guys. It's you know, hitting on the Robbie Rays. Those are the guys that are really that's how you win the teams and the overalls. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, speaking of a couple guys, they're they're not on the outline, but you mentioned one of them for sure. And you, you as a Mets fan, I want to get your thoughts on this, Jacob Degrom. What I know, the, the ideal answer is, we need to know more. That's the ideal answer. Like, what is going on there? I want to see him throw a few times, like, type thing. Ideally, that's what it is. But in this crazy world we live in, we're drafting, like, now. So, what are you doing? Like, say you start drafting in January. Football season's over. You're going to start dipping your toe in the water. How are you approaching the Grom drafts?
2: Wow. Yeah, see – I still can't pass on him anywhere in the second round. I, just, I don't even know
1: where he's going. In he's UFC. for the most part, he's back end of one. Sometimes I've seen him fall into two. Like I, I can't do it. I pass by him every time. Like I love Degrom. You know it. I know it. If he it is. is Degrom, he wins your league. Like that's what he does. But yeah, phew, that's a waste of a pick if it doesn't happen.
2: <laughs> it is. Yeah, you know, I'm always looking at what could happen. Really? Yeah. yeah. see, that's a good so philosophy because there's so
1: many cautious drafters out there. Like so many. Yeah. I'm guilty of it a lot um the what if that's how you win overalls at least you, you got to go for the like i'm a dfs guy so to me the overalls is a gpp you got to take your chances look for the ceiling so
2: i got you that's, yeah that's how i attack you know these drafts too is i'm always conscious of that overall component i'm always tracking those categories weekly what is the overall category where am i trailing? what do i need to hit every week so i'm making those adjustments but yeah i'm looking at ceiling most mostly first you know um Obviously, you can't draft a bunch of injury risks and, and wild cards throughout your draft. You have to have that nucleus of guys that are giving you, know, you those those county stats and the innings and whatnot. But to me, Jake is so far and away the best pitcher in baseball, assuming you know, yeah. his arm's intact. And from all accounts, it is from the GM and, and Sten Golderson, you know, came out and said his UCL is fully intact. If we see him throwing 99 in March, you know, he's going to be another you know, top eight nine pick again. And if it's me in the draft, you know, I'm not going to bound injury. I know there's there's drafters out there that are super paranoid about that, and uh, avoid them at all costs. Uh, that's not me. You know, I, I'll take that chance that he that he's Jake the Brown. He gives me 100 and gives me 160 innings. He's easily a first round pick.
1: He gets well, especially
2: 80 to 100, he's yeah. number one overall.
1: He an still answer. finished. Wasn't he still a top 10 guy last year, even though he missed like the last two months Goose, or something? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy how good he is. It's just a rare, he's just a rare player to me. It's, this is not your typical ace, you know, where, you know, you're just taking this stupid risk on, I mean, you yeah. know, he's a generational pitcher here that, right. you know, if you hit on him, you know,
1: it's, yeah, it's you put, you it's put him with Scherzer. It. Could be fun. Could be fun. Right. Um, Another guy that struggled tremendously last year, though, like we kind of mentioned the Bellinger of hitters. For pitchers, just I've been torn on him. I've been wanting to take him. I took him, I think, in one league so far because he's going super late. But we know when he's done for the previous six, seven years, what are you doing with Kyle Hendricks? Just, uh, it was yeah. so bad last year. It was so bad last year.
2: Yeah. I'm never uh, on the Kyle Hendricks train, so uh... – that last year just only furthered that that stance. Yeah. But uh, if you're not getting strikeouts, I know True. I can't just depend on ratios. True. I need that strikeout base. You know, we've seen outlier years where you know guys have great ratio years. You don't really see outlier years where the Hendricks have great strikeout. You know, K years. True. You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just too dependent on, on ratios. I'd rather just pass. You know, it's
1: yeah. a good point. Um, I don't really one know if right. any
2: pitchers that don't provide that strikeout base.
1: What, when, when you're talking strikeout base, because strikeouts are ridiculous, I get it, because that's it, they're not as often as they because U- they're not throwing as many innings anymore. Right. Um, so those, those elite strikeout guys are elite. Um, do you have like a threshold, like a K percentage, a K to walk percentage, a K per nine like that you look for when you're drafting, when you look at your stats? Like, I want guys over this amount like I, that I'm trying to focus on.
2: Yeah, I mean, usually at least a strikeout per inning. Like anyone okay. under that I'm not too keen on. Obviously, you, you can't get a whole staff with, with strikeout guys like that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, if I'm going to invest in any pitcher with a you know decent pick, you know, top 10 rounds, give or take, they need to be somewhat uh, uh, strikeout artists or at least have some sort of a ceiling there. Okay. Uh, and that's why I'm never on Hendricks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> No, it's tough. Like I, the reason why I liked Hendricks at first is because he's an innings eater and he can get you, you know, this, that, and the other ratios. But strikeouts aren't there. And last year was dreadful. Like, I luckily somehow missed him last year in most drafts. Uh, I think it's because I was literally saying if you want Hendricks, just wait and draft Stroman. Like that was my that's theory. It, if exactly. you want, that's like, that's my call too. It it's like after. he's
2: basically Hendricks going three or four rounds later.
1: Yeah, that so was that was my discussion reach, every uh, time. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And and I, I like to do that with drafts. Like I don't know if you're a baseball HQ guy uh, with the forecaster or not. But I think they have have the Mayberry method. is amazing because it'll show you guys that are similar to the player you're looking at. And it's like, oh, wait, I can rate seven rounds and get this similar production and get something else. I think it's a great way to think when you're drafting to kind of look for plans A, B and C in case things don't go well. Um, And and it helps out a ton. The other thing I want to ask about pitching, um, sticky stuff. We saw how crazy that was last year. We saw some of the big guys rebound towards the end of last year, which I'm a believer they can still pitch. I'm not stupid. Or they're going to find the next best thing. That's what they're going to do too. Um, baseballs talks about bringing the universal sticky ball like they use in the Olympics and stuff, which guys like Joe Ryan just raved about, So it's freaking amazing. So we don't know all the details. But are you factoring any of these guys that saw massive decreases in sticky stuff? Are you trying to buy them as bounce backs? Or are you just kind of like worried about them? What are your thoughts on that situation?
2: Yeah, uh, I honestly, I don't concern myself too much. Garrett Cole is like the main culprit of that too. And I don't know where he's going even these days in drafts, but.
1: He's uh, um, he's mid, mid to late round one.
2: Oh, is he still going? He's, he's, he, usually
1: the, he's usually the top pitcher off the board. Wow. Hi, him ensures him are battle back and forth for top pitcher. Okay, yeah, I'll have zero Garrett Cole then this year.
2: because yeah. I, I do think he's, he's, he was impacted by that greatly. I think the numbers he bared that out also. Yeah. So That's shocking to me. He, he's still going as the number one or two pitcher off the board. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's the one guy that I would probably avoid in drafts. Uh, I think he had what, like a four ERA. I think once that post sticky stuff. Uh,
1: he had a rough go. Timeline,
2: sure. Yeah, I mean, his numbers clearly dropped off. Bowers, another guy, which we don't know if we'll even see him. I don't know what his status is. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's not a guy that I'll be targeting either. But uh, yeah, Uh, those are probably the big two that I'll just find other options for.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ones to look at there, but maybe they figure that out before next season. The other thing to figure out is the universal DH, which I'm pretty sure I think most of us are think is going to happen. If we see baseball next year, which I still believe we'll see the normal season, we're going to get a DH everywhere, which is about ding time. Will that affect how you focus on drafts? Because it obviously opens up potentially more bats, even though I'm still a firm believer that not every team will have a designated DH. It'll be used as like a rest day situation, but will this uh, affect some players for you potentially uh, drafting?
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe a few players here who are blocked or whatever, like a Dominic Smith comes to mind, even though he was pretty terrible last year, but I mean, that's a guy that would clearly benefit from a DH. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it holds too much. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head any big bats that were kind of you know blocked, whether position in the NL or whatnot. But yeah, I don't think it'll be too much of an impact overall.
1: Yeah, maybe if anything more on the pitcher side, National League pitchers get a little bit, yeah, a little bit of a true. downgrade yeah.
0: uh, potentially. Yep, so like I know. Yeah.
1: So Silver, Rob Silver and others have actually actually done the, the math behind it. And I just like to talk about it and show numbers that oh, make sense. It's like to me, it's not astronomically different, but it definitely brings more of a guy into a tier type situation to to, to mix and match to get at least early on in drafts. I'd say it's, it's more of a deciding factor potentially. Uh, so that's something to to, to monitor as well. But it'll be interesting. Uh, you mentioned, I, I meant to bring it up earlier. So you mentioned no stacking in baseball with Toronto. And it's so funny because usually you don't in, in season long. You, you had Toronto. I know, I believe it was Casey Chaw was going like all reds. And he like was dominating with that. And it makes sense. Great American small park. They're going to crush. Right. Um, we know we can talk about pitching the AL Central. Focus on some of those pitchers because that division's so bad. I think I'm paying attention to it a little more than usual. I'm not focused on it at all. It's not a game plan going into it. But can you foresee yourself maybe doing something again? I know maybe not Toronto per se, but looking at a situation and going, I want to attack that again this year because it worked so well last year.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think even on the pitching side too, like, uh, you know, even like the DeGrom Scherzer, you know, and the Dodgers guys too, I like attacking those good teams and good parks, right? because mm-hmm. You're going to get wins. You're going to get the strikeouts. You're going to get the race. I mean, to me, it's just, it's so easy, you know, to foresee just a huge, you know, pitching staff if you just find those those right spots. Um, as far as the hitting goes, yeah, I haven't dug in too much on that too. And I guess once I see more, get, get into the ADP more and see kind of where the values are in the market, and maybe that may change my mind a little bit. Then. But yeah, I, I'll top of my head, no, I don't have any at this point.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting as as the ADP keeps changing. It's already changed a bunch in like the last month as people are drafting more. Obviously, I once we people
2: draft DCs in November, and when I was no. messing with uh, Zach on that, I'm like, "You got like, that's and why I just fish, do the Fish, fift- fish did yeah. like 15 drafts or something kind of sound. It's crazy. Like, I, was get, I, I was giving I was giving Fish such much. a
1: hard time when, when <laughs> he was on a few weeks ago. I'm like, "You're freaking crazy, dude! Like you're freaking ridiculous!" Like I love draft. That's why I do the 50s, or I'll do some cheaper like best balls somewhere just to keep my brain moving on, on getting the player pools but i'm not investing big money right now this is frick crazy yeah, man. Yeah. and obviously you can win like zach even he tweeted out some charts some you yeah, can win any time of the year yeah. Obvi- obviously true i'm not comfortable with it <laughs> that's all i know so just if saying, you're not comfortable drafting
2: and those draft, DCs, you know, dcs we barely know you know in february what some of these rosters will look look like you know so in november it's just yeah. it's wild but hey
1: you get some yeah. crazy values now too. So. That that's that's the kicker. like you can get some serious values, but you can also get some serious duds. Like I had at least one player on every roster last year that drafted before January that didn't even make a team. So it's just it's, you're it's it's a weird deal. It's it's a very very weird weird deal. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap this up, um, question for you: You had such success in 2021. Uh, there's goods, there's bads. You learned all. We, we learn every year. We do stuff. So you, you got all that. Um, with the changes coming in 2022 and everything what uh, strategies or lessons learned from 2021 are you likely to do or not do in 2022.
2: it's funny i've been asked this question before too and uh and the answer you know a lot of people kind of take it the wrong way but i i said i'm not going to change too much from what mm-hmm. from what i do at least i think my, my process kind of works what i do uh, i think maybe elements within my my process, uh, I might have to sharpen, you know, whether it's player analysis or, um, uh, you know, pitching depth, you know, and more into the metrics space. Um, but to be honest, I listen to a lot of you guys to do the work for me, and I just kind of soak up that information from you guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you know I don't want to change something that's working for, for myself. Um, uh i know that kind of sounds cocky or whatever but uh, no not at all but uh yeah if if, it's been working for for years Mm -hmm. and it's something i believe in and i just continue to keep keep on doing it until uh, i see different results basically
1: (laughs) yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it it makes total sense um and, and and it's not cocky to me at least somebody that's been playing as long as i have and others should understand that it's like you've worked so hard on your system to get here and it's not that you're going to go hundred percent. You said, you're going to tweak it. You're going to do this, that, and you, you're adjustable in your drafts. But if people have listened to the conversation we've had, you've already said like, you know, I look for this value here. Well, that's still learning and adjusting to situations. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not like you're walking and going, Nope, we're doing it this way. It sounds like, no, it's not, nah, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. you, you have your strategy which allows you to learn and adapt and do things. And, and that's very good. Cause there is a, there is logic for some to have like a strict this is what we're doing. I get it. You got to stay disciplined otherwise you're going to go off the rails. I, that's how it works. But the way these drafts go these days and and you got, you will probably admit it there's so many smart players now. Like so many ridiculously smart players that are going to think the same thing you are on so many players. Like you cannot walk in a room going, I'm going to get these 23 guys. That's just not going to happen. Like no no world is that ever going to happen. So you have to be able to adjust, and that—that's what you're saying with, with your deal. So it's not cocky to me. I totally get what you're saying, and um, it's working. I think it's
2: still in draft. Yeah, I think it's. There's a certain feel that you have to have inside the draft room where you can kind of adjust on the fly. Where I think a lot of owners, you know, they kind of with that, you know, clock that 60 second clock. Uh, you know, if a player gets sniped, you know they don't know what to do. Their, their options yeah. to go. You know, they just you know.
1: That 60 second clock, they, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend for some people if you're not comfortable in the sixty second clock, do a couple sixty second somethings beforehand because yeah. it's gonna shock you to your core <laughs> real quick if if you're not ready to adapt to that.
2: Yeah, and and I just think for me personally, I, have, I usually have a good sense of the draft room where you know I have a read on other owners what they need, It's not only about what you need you know yep. for your own team, but you gotta be conscious of what the teams around you. do. And I feel like that's kind of understated in, mm-hmm. uh, in current drafts. So
1: that yeah. that's a great point because there's a you know how certain people draft, so you can play that angle if you want. But B, use the roster grid on an FPC like it's huge. Going, yeah. hey, this guy's got zero catchers. Is this guy's like you said, even with your Vlad and Bellinger thing? Well, this guy's not a first baseman. He's going to take like you you knew that going in your head, yeah. and that's part of the deal because um, real. When it comes to KDS, this is, can be important when you're looking at this stuff. Do you prefer a certain section of the draft? Like, do you prefer the turn so, you know, like, hey, I got two guys behind me. It'll help me with this pick so I can see where they kind of need to go type thing. Or do you want to be more like in the middle?
2: Uh, I think it depends really on my uh, – between the 12 and the 15-teamers. I feel like the 15-teamers, you really don't want to be stuck on the ends there are on the 14. You can miss out 15. on a lot yeah those runs I mean it's just a tough tough position to be in whereas in the 12 teamers I, I honestly don't even care where I, you could think like, draft a monster from any, any spot in that draft. Um,
1: I like it I like it yeah yeah that's good. well, we're gonna wrap it up there. it's been an awesome awesome draft strategy talk a lot of good uh good information. I love the 12 team conversation because I don't think it gets discussed enough and it's it's a big difference between 15s and 12s. it is both doable, both fun. But they're different animals in a big, big way. So I appreciate the talk. And uh, when do you when do you plan on starting your, your your drafting? Yeah, I'm usually so I'm right. I'm in prime time football mode right now
2: for uh, until at least you know, mid January whenever the season's end. But uh, once football ends, I'm usually I go right into the baseball tank and I'm drafting usually February into you know, the season starts. So. Um, yeah, but like once I get down into baseball mode, I'm just crazy focused on that, and yeah, that, that's when it all begins.
1: <laughs> are you doing any lives or are you doing them all online?
2: You know, I was thinking about doing I haven't done the, the live ones yet. Um, for football, I went out there did, did that this year, it was fun, so yeah, I might, I might head out there to Vegas and try it out this year. We'll see, we'll see what the schedule looks like. You know, two kids and Jara. <laughs> and, yeah, I
1: get it. Like, to time, yeah. It's tough. Like I, I love going to first pitch Arizona. It's like I, I can't do both. It's just not going to happen. So I got to pick, pick your poison type thing. And you mentioned that the clock or the sixty second clock, a sixty second live clock, even more fun, people. So
2: yeah, right. Even more fun. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it'd be fun. I know they do uh, in, in New York. They do some live drops too. Maybe I could
1: check one of those out this year. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people go up there. I, I told um, we were talking with some guys in Arizona this year. They need to do more, like not just the mains and the supers. Do a couple like OCs and some other yeah, things. Oh, you'll well, get yeah. even more. You'll get even more people there to like draft. Yeah, like, it'll so turn I into a big that. old deal.
2: Yeah, and I found too. Yeah, it's definitely a different, you know, atmosphere. It's fun. You know, it's just seeing people. You're drafting them. You know, live. It's just a different feel, feel.
1: completely. So I enjoy It's it. awesome. It's definitely awesome. Well, what was awesome is I enjoyed chatting with you. It was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, real quick, I want to tell you, I've been a fan of yours since oh. the early days, uh, going back a few years now, so it's, it's been nice seeing you kind of rise from the ranks. I feel like it's well-deserved, and Thank you're you. definitely one of the, you know the better podcasters out there, so I appreciate you and uh, you, you and uh, Toby, so keep on uh, doing a good job.
1: Well, I truly appreciate it. Uh, it means a lot to me, because uh, for the longest time, I didn't think anybody that actually played uh, big-time fantasy gave a crap about this show, so I, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I was listening to you
2: like, back in 18, I want to say. Like, it's yeah, been a so few years. Al- almost the be beginning.
1: Sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite in the beginning maybe your yeah. second year doing it, but yeah, yeah I, I started listening then, and I still listen to today, so I appreciate
1: well, it. I truly Keep appreciate it, it and I, I'm looking forward to having you on again sometime. We'll talk some more players and everything then, but I uh, just... The discussion was great. I didn't even need to talk about the players too much. This episode it was great talk yeah, talking strategy actually, with yeah, you I'm and down. and getting ready. So yeah, we'll we'll chat it up some more. Maybe uh, maybe February. So let you get some get your feet wet in the baseball prep, and we'll we'll talk some more some more players and whatnot. But it was a pleasure, and we'll do it again sometime. And good luck in the rest of your fantasy uh, football season. Go 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 get some more green. Appreciate How's that sound? There we go.
2: <laughs> Appreciate it, Bubba. Thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. Go check them out on Twitter at the underscore guilds G I L D Z, and make sure you follow the NFPC at the NFPC, not NFPC. You're gonna want to do that too. So check all that (laughs) stuff out. But uh, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 422. Catch you guys next time.